Welcome to Soundwalker. This is your host, David Rothenberg. This is episode 20, Matthew Adikman, The Black Box of Cool. I just heard Laurie Anderson give a talk last week, and she said, never use the word wizard. I'm going to use it, because Matthew Adikman is a wizard, wizard of sound, wizard of software. He's a programmer, a musician, kind of visionary of what music can and should and must be. Matthew runs Tada.art. He invented some music software called Tablatune that we use in our band Tablatune that you're hearing in the background. And he can talk about anything musical, sonic. He's always interesting. He's always hard to pin down. And we're lucky to have him today with us. Uh, Messiaen takes a takes a walk in in nature, listens to a few birds, comes home and plots out a few bird calls on his piano. You could say that the birds wrote that music. Uh, you could also say that your your clarinet authored the tone of your your recording. Uh, and I'd say that the computer is sort of like that. Like there's somebody on the other side of it, uh, and um, it's a tool for, for all intents and purposes. And, but whether it can actually author stuff for you, uh, I think, you know, you can say that. I mean, we use that as shorthand, but I would question that. I mean, we're not talking about the machine like being the composer here, but the work that the actual software, which is supposed to be a tool for musicians, is kind of like a composition. And this reminds me of uh, at least 15 or 20 years ago, Brian Eno was writing, in the future, music compositions we write will sound different every time you play them, every time you <laughs> listen to them. <laughs> yeah, and I would say that, I, that's a, I mean, exactly. I would say that um, software can be like a composition composed by a person. Yeah, because you open it up <laughs> and it makes you, you know, if it's software for you to play, it makes you play differently than you would otherwise. Because it's, Oh, certainly. It's, I mean, it could... Yeah change the entire framework for which mm -hmm. you're through which you're making music i mean or through which you're seeing music i think we just it's nice to it's it's a it's an amazing shorthand to just be like well it wrote the music for me i use ai and it writes out the chords for me but i think it's it's a little dangerous to sort of gloss over the fact that there's a person on the other side of it values going yeah, I mean, into if the it software is any good it, it allows you the musician the composer or the producer to to create something you you couldn't create without it, like changes the way you think in a creative way rather than yeah. locking you into something. Yeah, I mean, I think that's actually a really, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, you could see uh, a way of looking at using software in which you make the the conscious choice to use a tool that puts you in a frame of mind. A specific frame of mind you say like oh like this is how i make music like first i go into this frame of mind by using this tool then i go into that frame of mind by using that tool sometimes i'm plotting out stuff on the on the keyboard other times i'm i'm recording things on the keyboard and then playing with them um uh that's i think that's a that would be an interesting thing to experiment with and to notice like 
I don't know, what your values are for making music given any tool that you're using. So why did you decide to start making your own software when, of course, there's endless amounts of tools to play with? <laughs> like, why, why go through the struggle of making your own? And you have described it to me as a struggle. It's definitely, it's definitely a struggle, that's for sure. Um, I, I mean, this, I remember a moment. Um, so I, I used to own a recording studio. And I, I had a moment using Pro Tools. So in, in Pro Tools, uh, the, the basic way for it to work was, you know, you had a bunch of tracks and you had five slots for plugins on every track. And you have an array of plugins and effects and uh they're split up into very basic categories these are your distortions these are your dynamics compressors and i had a moment doing a recording where i was mixing something and i was just like okay so there's these basic building blocks and they all function basically the same you know in their category they've they've you know we only have a handful of them or i only had access to a handful of them and I really felt like I felt both the desire to open these things up and break them apart, which I couldn't do in, in, in that software. And I also felt like if I want to make more meanings, then, then I needed other building blocks because I had fallen into a rut where it was like, oh, do you want something to be angry? You just throw some distortion on it. Do you want something to feel super closed in and you want to feel claustrophobic oh then you you, you gate it uh and and it, it felt like these things had like very narrow meanings to me because they were divorced from any sort of like cultural or or semantic meaning they were just sort of these sound building blocks that that had no other context so the and lack so of I, context was a problem yeah oh absolutely i mean it felt like yeah it felt like i had five legos to play with you know, it's like, oh, you want reverb? There you get. You throw some reverb. So, you, what would it mean know? to put the context back? What's an example of, of of something different where there's a context into the effects or the process? <laughs> so, I mean, I think one of the things that immediately comes to mind would be in uh, I don't know, this was the late aughts. Uh, there were these Americana bands, uh, Mumford and Sons, and there was a, like a slew of tracks where the whole band would go, hey! And they would have this plate reverb, right? And that was like, um, that that reverb was almost like what you would imagine like Make America Great Again is. It's like, this is, this is the past, this is a group of people in a room um, being filtered through this sort of like very retro sound that was like, um, it, it sounded like, your grandparents as children or something you know all all playing in the yard or something and being filtered through the the echoes or the the halls of time right and that's uh that was a way in which these people uh attempted to sort of like through the context of their band made an aesthetic that got associated with a set of ideas a set of feelings about the country and the past and I, I think that sort of way of making meaning from sound is much more interesting than taking a raw technological so, so let me get this straight so so you're uh, this is like 
Is it actual reverb that comes out of the past, like a plate reverb from the good old days? Or is it like the reverb is simulating what it's really like to be outside in a place? And you know? Oh, no. I mean, a plate reverb is it sounds the opposite. I mean, most tools you use now, like they, they sort of claim, oh, this is an emulation of a very real reverb. A plate reverb, this plate reverb was the opposite of a of a real sounding reverb it was and it even for plate reverbs it was very nondescript uh it just sort of sounds like a tail it sort of sounds old something that was used in the past it wasn't used in any specific decade more than any others uh maybe prior to the i don't know 70s and do you think um, we implicitly know this stuff or or is it, is it like for the true connoisseurs who can recognize decades by the reverbs you hear no, I mean I think it's it's it that that's a trick of the artist is to go well. There's something sort of stirring underneath in the collective, not unconsciousness, but like nobody pays attention to reverbs, but you'll definitely recognize them more from like old Ink Spots recordings, right? Um, and and so you'll just go, that's old, right? And then pair that with a bunch of white people playing banjo and ukulele and and singing about the good old days and you've got this icon symbol of old old good smiley happy stuff and that's where the effect has this cultural resonance so it's kind of matters you're saying yeah i mean i think one of the things i people that i respect do and that i would aspire to is to just do that do that pairing to say like well here's this idea and here's something I found and I'm going to find a way to sort of like force these things together uh, by smashing them and really driving home what I think they mean, you know, or what I think they should mean. This makes me think of so many musical examples right now. Like when, when you started talking, I immediately thought of the Lumineers singing, Ho, Hey, that's, you know, yeah, like exactly. The, what is the song? That's it. It's so yeah. making fun of what you're saying, but it's kind of in earnest. And it made me think of this, this uh, Steve McQueen uh, TV HBO movie, Lovers Rock. He, had made, he made five movies about Caribbean life in London in the 1970s that just came out. And this one is about a reggae party, just a party. In the beginning, they're hauling in the sound equipment and plugging it together, you know, really old-fashioned ways. It's also difficult. And the DJs are getting ready with their turntables, and they have these delay effects, and they have this, like, like siren. But in between the songs, because they're not making it very precise, they turn on the siren. <laughs> All very much like a scene. There's no plot to this to this film. It's two hours of the party set up, the party gets going with music. It's just really great. Like, like it's, yeah. it's, um, it's about all the, there's all these old fashioned reggae delay dub sound effects and they have exactly what you say, this cultural context. Yeah. Which you might yeah. not remember. Yeah, and I was thinking like, I actually, you know, I remember I've been to parties like this a little bit a few years after this period, you know, in the early 80s and the effects did have this cultural context. Yeah, I mean, a rim shot with with uh, a low-pass filter delay on it is just so strongly associated with reggae recordings. Yeah. At the same time, whenever I'm using these effects, it's interesting. I try as much as possible to avoid what you're talking about. I don't want anything that has a reference to the past that I know what it is. <laughs> Nothing that I can say that's from this period. I hate the idea of making things sound old and distorted. Yeah. I want to have an effect no one's ever heard before. You can't quite place what it is. And, uh, you know, 
that's why I, I, you know that, that's what I, I know I'm not it's incapable of doing that you can't really do it but that's how I'm thinking I want some sound I can't place what the effect is no one I, I mean say, I think yeah. that's in total uh that's in 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 total that dove, dovetails perfectly with what I'm saying, which is like I think if you take that attitude, you're bound to make that sort of connection because you're it's coming from a place which it's a it's a convenient fiction that you're contextless, and so you're so when you say to yourself, I'm gonna I'm gonna go somewhere that is that is um, w- without previous meaning, what you're actually saying is I'm gonna do the thing that's most like me. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's a complete fiction. We, I kind of imagine anything is new, special, yeah. and, and this actually came up in a another on Tuesday's class, my electronic music class. I invited James Sizemore, film composer, orchestrator for Howard Shore, and he was he lives up the road as well, and he was uh, discussing a scene from The Hobbit, bit by bit, how they made the music, the different versions, immensely complicated, like you wouldn't hmm. imagine how complicated this process was. And I kept asking, I was saying, like, why is it like these, these movie scores, they always have orchestras in the same kind of emotional moments, what dissonance means, what a melody means. Like, aren't, aren't we so tired of this? Isn't this just like the old way of doing it? And he goes, well, you know, yeah, we all know that. But if you use an orchestra, you're, you're going for something timeless. You know, this yeah. kind of sound is not going to get out of date. If you use anything cool and technological, it's <laughs> going to make it more dated because technology gets out of date so fast. And it, I, I just had to laugh because it's so true. Yeah. You hear like an electronic sound like the 80s, a Fairlight maybe, or a DX7. <laughs> it's a, it brings things to a period, which sometimes we want, but these Hollywood mythological Lord of the Rings type tales, they want to be timeless. They want to be like... You're going to watch it 30 years from now. It's going to seem like eternal, the eternal themes. Well, it's also, I mean, it's, it seems like uh, people treat being nondescript in film composition as be- having old wisdom. You're like, I don't want to get in the way uh, of, of, you know, whatever is being said. Of course, there's exceptions to the rule, but, like, uh, people say, like, we, we don't want anybody to pay attention to us. We just sort of, like, want you to feel a certain way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would, I, I can, why he's doing it, and, and that argument makes perfect sense. When yeah. I asked Carter Burwell, another film composer, the same question, he said, oh, it's a very conservative industry. <laughs> that was his response. And then yeah, I mean, I guess me if you've got the sort of budgets. Yeah, you know, it's well known that uh, Hans Zimmer doesn't use any actual orchestras anymore. It's all sampled and kind of fake orchestras because you can be larger than life in your universality he's using orchestral sounds but they're all electronic versions huh and which is an interesting direction and it also made me think that me you know i like the people who do exactly the opposite i I like uh, in the recent Werner herzog documentary about bruce chatwin the travel writer called uh, nomad in this film the music is by ernst reisiger the Dutch uh, you know, cellist, he's just improvising. It's like free improvisation on cello while all the dialogue is happening, totally interrupting the action, completely yeah. unsynchronized. <laughs> Anybody who studied film composition would say, this is wrong, this guy's annoying, I can't hear what's being said here. But you know, if you, if you, it works so well for me, I'm just saying like, yeah, this is just what you don't expect. And I, I like it. And I don't care whether it sounds dated or undated, it's just different. 
Yeah, well, I mean, being worried about being dated is definitely going to hold people back. Probably. <laughs> and also, we like, we, 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 we're so nostalgic, as you say, we want to find something from a different era. My students always add just random crackle in the back of everything to give something this authenticity. <laughs> and it makes me think, like, okay, like, yeah, it sounds so cool, but, you know, couldn't you become an aficionado of crackle and, like, have, have exact precise kinds of noise from history? Like, uh, you know, this is the way things sound, and I know certain plugins do this. This is the noise from 1930s and 1950s. Yeah. You know, that, that you can, you should be more precise if you're going for history, and you can, you, 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 um, you should become as good a listener as possible when you're messing with these things. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, uh, I encourage my students to, to, to use this sort of like, oh, meaning aesthetic technique sort of way of thinking about things to get them to avoid doing things that they just thought were the black box of cool, right? Because um, that's, that's something with like a lot, lot of values on the other side of it. Uh, that's a good phrase, the black box of cool. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like you're just going for something, you, you know, your eyes light up and you're like, that's cool. And then, like, that's the end of it, because nothing could be better than cool, right? <laughs> is is sort of, like, what I think a lot of people, I, I don't know, myself included. I mean, sometimes something's just so overwhelmingly cool that I just can't get rid of it. But like then, what? What's an example? Something overwhelmingly cool you couldn't get rid of? Oh, um... <laughs> I, I, I did uh, I did something with uh, 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 auto tuning somebody's voice to a single note, and uh, and uh, running that through a uh, a bandpass filter on the fundamental, and then just using that as the oscillator for a synthesizer, and it just something happened where it was like. I don't know, like, I changed the filter a little bit, it's all gone. It just came out, and I'm like, that is so cool. Can't, can't get rid of that. There was another thing I did, um, uh, I, I use, um, actually, what I use Spear for, um, this software Spear, um, it splits all the, uh, an input sound, so I took a drum loop, uh, sent it into Spear, and, uh, quantized all the, uh, sine waves that it turned the sound into into a scale comes out and it just sounds so cool it's overwhelmingly cool it's just like perfect groove sounds like an organ totally like Medusky Martin and Wood sort of sounding thing cool cool yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting how much, you know, what kind of sounds have history. And I, I, do you think there's a moment when electronic music suddenly got historically aware and previously it was marching forward towards progress? Like each generation said, this is better than before. We're better than before. We're better. We're better. And at some point they said, no, we're going back. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I can't give you an authoritative version of that, but it was certainly, I lived through just a uh, an onslaught, a gigantic onslaught of hot takes about you know what sampling meant 
And um, that was all, you know, going back to authorship, that was like, are these people really the author of their own art if they're sampling somebody else playing drums? Um, uh, I mean, I guess in that case, it's like, well, how you hear something is the authorship, right? But um, that was certainly, uh, I mean, people digging through crates of records and having that be strongly associated with using it in electronic music um, was, was gigantic. I mean, it's all anybody could talk about for a while. There has to be something about the universality of music and human expression that people began to realize that, okay, everyone playing the drums, everyone playing the guitar, like, we weren't so different from, from generations, so they've done this already, let's sort of take what they've done, celebrate it, intensify it, and repeat over and over and over again. Yeah, well, I mean, you could argue, maybe I would argue that, like, dumping music into a computer, uh, um, pushes the set of values that, uh, all music is sort of, or all musical performances are interoperable because you've quantified them in a certain way. You think about, oh, here's a series of notes, this is the tempo, this is the key, and if we just line all those things right up, they all, we can suck all the meaning out of them and just, like, make them compatible. You could, you know, think of, like, what Peter Gabriel was doing or something. Um, and then people started criticizing him 20 years later. Um, I tend to I tend to like that idea of it. I mean, I think it would. it's nice to think that, like, music is a universal language and... But there's other people that don't feel that way. Are, are you speaking of like the Peter Gabriel real world label, like the the world music idea or some other aspect of what he was doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, maybe that was a precursor to uh, the idea of sampling where, you know, if, every, if you just uh, ahead of time cut everything up into loops, line it all up into tempos, then it all just sort of... When you're when you're listening, it all just sort of seems to fall into place, seems to work seems to have the same texture uh, because you can just drop things in like Legos, like every single one every ever made is always compatible. And then, uh, you know, it, it really puts the history into the background or the, the cultural context of whatever you're using in the background. And it doesn't even have to be something that you've taken from somewhere else, but it could be like, I don't know, you go out and hit a tree and then you play a saxophone. Those things have never been played together before. And then you smash them together because you can sort of make them compatible. Yeah, and this music has its built-in like axioms, like there's always a steady beat. And exactly. Loop, loops are a good thing. They help us remember. So let's just overlap them. They repeat and then we say, ah, this is now music. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you get the sense that actually John Cage, you know, would, would not have been so pleased. He would rather all this stuff not be looped and that you, everything fits together as music because it pulls you away from what you expect, you know, in a way. Like, yeah. He, he was always so down on, the, like, the boring aspects of popular music or even the boring aspects of jazz, where he said the problem with jazz is music becomes a conversation. I don't want music to be a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, a, he was like a wizard. He, you, he couldn't second guess him. You think you're doing something he would like, he would say no. You're, yeah. not. <laughs> you're not my son go back study some more another 20 years <laughs> um 
I mean, that's one way of talking about it. I mean, maybe he would have said music includes conversations, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm outside conversations. I'm meta conversation or something. Yeah. I mean, he said, free yourself from your likes and dislikes. But then he was so opinionated. So, <laughs> and you know, he clearly operated in the world of the composer, who is a kind of elite figure. But, what, you know, when, when he saw, like, the people just doing stuff, listening to sound, cutting and pasting sound, remixing sound, sound as sound becoming rhythm and music, they were doing it in a pop way with beats and grooves and things like dancing. It wasn't really the John Cage idea of listening to the world. He, he had no, I mean, way. but, I mean, jo- John Cage was trying to push an idea, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's... That's exactly what he was doing. He was saying, like, I found this other way to put together music that's like this idea. No, over here. I mean, I think there's a... When people, when you learn music history, right, that's that's sort of what they... How they teach it. They say, somebody comes along and says, uh, no, over, this is the idea, you know. But so, yeah, I guess you're right. Like, he was thinking like a composer and not like... Well, what's the opposite of that? I mean... Well, there's the secret part of elitism there. Like it was a world of the way composers talk rather than the way... I'd say one great thing about today is we don't seem to have those hierarchies really anymore. Like everyone's making music. There's hardly any composer today writing orchestral music who would say anything negative about about like hip-hop or rap or jazz or rock and roll. They would say all these things are great, they're music... I could use them or not use them. You can't say that one is like more serious music than another. These days, hardly anybody would back that up. They just don't yeah, do that I anymore. Think it's all, you know, we're a more level playing field. There's no great musical heroes like Stockhausen, Boulez, ruling the world of what serious music is. And then there's the people who don't understand this just playing in the streets. You know, that ideas are gone. We might have greater inequality than ever before economically in America, but I think artistically we're at a more level playing field. Maybe because no one can make money, many of them. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh... I'd have to think about that a lot. I mean, certainly by genre, you're absolutely right. Like, none of these people would come along and say, like, hip-hop is bad or, or, you know, klezmer rules the world. Um, People do seem to go, like, well, and then this person came along. Like, that still happens when somebody comes around and does something with a different angle. But now it seems like the people who come along are, are... Either you're like a virtuoso in some traditional form, and that's great, people know that, or you're you're cutting and pasting things together in some new uh, postmodern manner. I'm not sure how you could be like a a new kind of like saxophone virtuoso today, or a new kind of really unfriendly conceptual music can't do that now it's like newly universally (laughs) swept together in a mesh of like pragmatic meditation like this music is going to help you sleep better this music will do this for you but how it's doing it is uh, is, it just has to do it and welcome you in with this you know i don't know what i'm saying here exactly no i mean i think uh, there was a sense when i was I don't know, 15 or 16, I was like, music can't get any more louder or complicated or abrasive. You know, nobody's going to come along and make something more uh, crazy in that way. 
uh, and then people had to sort of back off and go like, well, what are we doing? What, what do we want to do? Do you think they're doing it now? I mean, now you hear this kind of one and a half minute strange digital songs of <laughs> it's like pop music of which my, my own son is a leading figure in that, that it's a world of we thought you couldn't get noisier, but no, you could do that kind of digital noise they told us not to use and you could make songs shorter and more scratchy and, and break the rules that further, which is which makes me smile. It's exactly what should be happening. Yeah, I mean, well, there was two things, right? I mean, you're talking about, like, the digital thing. That's, like, just going right? Uh, where it's like, well, this is the glitch. And that, but I think also the stuff that I've heard that your son and his, his, uh, his, his friends are doing are, like, it has much more to do with, like, like, that's a very specific sort of glitch, what they're doing. It's a very, it's a very, like... Uh, online conversational sort of glitch. It's it's not. It doesn't necessarily have to do with like uh, the medium of the digital, which is new. It's more like um, like what it sounds like when somebody screams on YouTube, right? Uh, which is like a whole different thing. Uh, I mean, there's a million kinds of distortion, but like that vocal distortion is very specific to that sort of those genres of. Um, like what it's like if you're gaming and you scream into your gaming mic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And one thing that interests me is like, and, and, and something I've been hoping would start to evolve is with all this sound, all this music, all these tools instantly accessible, the sense of refinement in, in assessing sound in these like precise ways that seem like way beyond say the way I would ever think like, like when I was watching him explain this track he'd load up a track with like 25 distortion plugins one after another making this like kind of noise and, and, and then he would explain very precisely why he was doing it I needed to add this it was a little more of this it was a little more of this a real sense of refinement in massaging the sound into a peculiar kind of noise so that if you're doing this you would have a very refined sense of of hearing this sound world of unclassifiable noisy sounds that oh, I wonder I mean, I what the context yeah. is like as you as we start talking about context is the context some specific thing of the past or some super technical vision of uh, abusing the tools in a way you're not supposed to <laughs> or, you know. I mean I, I don't know if that's a new way of thinking I mean I, Electronic music is sort of the practice of just throwing building blocks together until you find the thing that you feel like you would have envisioned in a certain way. But I mean, I definitely think that like, I mean, that's why I think like the mindset that you go into it with is so important. Like maybe you, maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you, maybe you want to uh, set up some sort of like um, pseudo lingual thing where it's like, I'm going to use like, uh, this distortion sound um, as, as sort of some sort of syntax or you're doing like arithmetic where it's like A plus B and you've got like flanger first, distortion second, and then like uh, the resolution is reverb or something. And you just do that over and over again. Oh, so you turn it into, point. Yeah, okay. But like the idea that like the the aesthetic, the the sort of like the aesthetic of the track is always the point. Uh, is the thing that gets a little tired to me. 
a little bit. Like, like oh, like, isn't this so distorted? Like, isn't this so crazy a sound? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, just the idea that, like, okay, if I throw 10 different kinds of distortion onto something, that makes it loud and that makes it aggressive. When there's nothing aggressive about that, uh, you know, it's people have been aggressive. doing it for... Yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Now, I mean, it could be put into a different context. Okay, so you like you only do that for an eighth note, and now it's a drum. Uh, you know, fine, but like, it just seems like that's that's a way of that's a way of thinking about sound that we've we've inherited from previous generations. That's a historical way of thinking about sound. What I'm um, thinking, I'm imagining, might become different. I don't know if this is happening or or will happen is the fact that we have so many things we could listen to at any moment should make people like super refined in the sense of being aware of everything. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of like crate digging. I mean, that's like, like it's just right there. It's not even crate digging. It's just right there online. You could listen, you could suddenly become an expert in, in like the pop music of Djibouti and just listen to only (laughs) things from this, this little city state for the next uh, week and then come up with some response and then learn these things, hear it. And I would imagine if it's not already happening, if it sort of is, that if you fixate a certain kind of sound you like, that there should be a way of, of uh, analyzing the things that you like that are not what you expect. Like there's a certain tone, a certain balance between yeah. full spectra and silence and rhythm that, that will then predict, you're gonna like this piece, it's from a whole different genre, but it has the <laughs> same balance of clarity and noise and I imagine I wish this would happen I'm waiting for these algorithms to recommend things to me that really surprise me sometimes you get it on Pandora because they claim to have these very highly sophisticated human <laughs> ways of classifying music I don't know if this is just a myth that then they yeah. would send you on you know in interesting directions I I mean people somebody said to me the other day Oh, I miss Pandora. And I was I I thought about that. First of all, I don't think Pandora's gone anywhere. But second of all, uh I I've found more music on Pandora than I did on Spotify. Because I mean, it's, it's designed to help you find things. Yeah. And if they could integrate that together with you, know, you you collecting your music, they have some special technique. Because I, I would like to see, you know, Spotify, I I confess I listen to a lot of things there. I would like to open it up and say okay, what are you recommending for me today? And they'd be so smart, they would have found really interesting things I don't know about that I'm going to like, and they don't. The only thing that works <laughs> for me is the new release Radar, where I hadn't heard that certain artists I like had released things. Yeah. They put that together. What, what they suggest things for me, it's always bland, and I feel like people are paying them. They'll always put super pop hits up there. And yeah. It doesn't seem like honest or very advanced. You know? No, I mean, I think so far, like... Typing random words into Bandcamp works better than Oh, that's interesting. That, that would work, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. interesting to... I don't know if I want some something to come along and constantly recommend things to me. I My friends are constantly recommending things to me, and I put it on a list, mm-hmm. and I go through them at the end of the year, and I don't listen to anything. <laughs> I would find that, that of know. course, works better if... I feel that friends I trust whose aesthetic I agree with recommend things. And if enough different people recommend something, it might be worth checking out. 
Yeah. And I'm also someone always looking for something else. Like, and I'm always like bored. Please send me something else to try this. And when I sit down to make music, I'm just bored. It's like, oh, I'm just bored with it all. Can I make something that would interest me? I'm so bored of what I've done before. Can I just like do something I've never heard? And of course, it's all an act because it's nothing so new. But that's kind of how I think. I, I want something else. And that's my flaw as an artist. I, I know my limitations. Just... I'm just always in between everything, and it's kind of. I mean, place. I, I think yeah. you know, you and I toss around uh, that word "weird" a lot, and and for me, uh, like a lot of thinking about and listening to music is chasing the high of the first time I left. Like I listened to a CD like five or six times, and then like it went from being something incredibly ugly that I didn't understand at all to something that I thought was really beautiful and that I could, I could, I don't know, hum all the way through. And that like, aha moment of like, oh, I get it now is I, I like, I don't even know, like is given the, the David Byrne thing, like, oh, like music conforms to how you're listening to it. Can we even do that now? If you only listen to things once. When's the last time it happened for you? <sighs> That's a good question. I had a thing with, this is old, it's a seven-year-old record, but Adam TM has this record, Pop HD, that is like, I definitely remember putting on that record and going, this is the new stuff here, right? This is really an amazing way of putting together sound. Um, and there was, it, it, I, it's deceptively simple. And as I sort of sank into it, I, I found new things. Leafcutter John is a little bit like that for me. Uh, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to run through my library. What, what's left of it? <laughs> I think, just in general, I think when I was a teenager, dissonance, just like like going from that's ugly to that's systematic and beautiful and it's melodic like having that realization uh was like i'll always be chasing that realization i think i don't know like it sounded like a car horn 10 minutes ago and now it sounds like something i'm really attracted to um yeah i don't know i mean did you have something similar? Or are you like... Yeah, yeah, why? definitely over the years, yeah. I mean, like, uh, I remember um, discovering that Ethiopian rock music was all based on tritones. They thought it was some kind of consonants, like... <laughs> and I remember when first, you know, when Graham Boone, one of my professors and friends in, in college, you know, he pointed out this, just check this out, this is just so cool. And then for years... I was obsessed with that and making music with like like that had this kind of quality to it. And um, then years later, it became easy to hear all this Ethiopian stuff. You could just sift through hundreds of pieces and you could hear this exact thing. It's still going on in electronicized versions today. Huh. And that clearly, it, you know, it's a cool dissonant sound that if you repeat it enough, 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 you just want it. You like it as is. You don't want it to resolve. And that this is just a beautiful thing, and yeah. that, that you know you can um, you can make use of of this kind of thing. 
you know, I always like, there's one chord in the end of the quartet for the end of time I'm kind of obsessed with as this piano's chords are lifting up. Doom, 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 doo, 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 doo. And then boom, this incredible dissonant thing comes, like one thing that I just love. And, and then we tried to make this as yet not yet out album with, with Marilyn Crispell and Benedict Maurset and, you know, based on this one moment, let's simplify these messian progressions, turn it more into jazz where they repeat yeah. so maybe people can hear it more. Otherwise, you have to wait for this one chord. It just happens once in the piece. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah well, I mean, there's a whole category of, 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 of things that, you know, yeah. the or I like artist the twin, is like, we're only putting that in once. Progression. I like the twin, you know, the, the Twin Peaks chord progression, Angelo Badalamenti. And it goes up, you know, it's just this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. I mean, do you think that will people even pay attention to that sort of thing? Well, I mean, there's another thing that's been embraced a little bit is 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 it just in the last. I don't know, 10 years is, is fake harmonizer sounds, um, which like we had access to in the previous two decades, but it took a little while for people to go like, oh, there is like a weird way in which this seems to work. It's not just a robot sound. People yeah. like it. Um, You're like Brian Eno on that one song I don't know if it's his voice or someone's and it's like stretched out and pitched up and you can't quite tell what it is but it's it's not yeah. scratchy yeah I can't remember the name exactly but it's it just it's just the voice <laughs> is kind of beautiful and strange and not overly um, robot like I guess I have somewhere in me still this preference for like imaginary nature something imaginary organic and of course we know yeah. organic is now a category of electronic sound organic pad it's just it's just complete <laughs> synthetic why is it it's like organic food made in a laboratory <laughs> you know I mean I think I mean I think we would probably both make the argument that uh, human beings probably just have a preference for that sort of sound but we just don't have the tools at present I, I've always imagined and I, like I think it would be a great startup like Pixar for sound like if we just invest tons and tons of resources and energy and expertise into manufacturing very very accurate simulated physical sounds um, and just throwing a ton of compute power instead of and doing it like we don't have to do it in real time right uh, like that's sort of what Pixar was we can generate these visuals that tell stories that are all based on physics rather than cartoons right uh, it, I, I, I feel like I don't know that that's like a real that's a worthwhile project you mean um, they would be like physically modeled musical instruments that would be yeah so, but like yeah. even beyond like physical models now are um, uh, it's funny I studied with somebody who put together a few physical models um, some of the first ones for for the Pro Tools plugins and um, he said like what you do is you 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 study the original thing and then you reduce the sound to um, like the least amount of math that you can in order to re re repeat the sound. Like the idea that like 
you don't have to emulate the actual vibration of the string. You just put together these effects in the right way so that they, it sounds like the original. And I, what I'm trying to say is like, no, emulate the original thing. Like if you've got a box, like make, you know, imaginary voxels that actually vibrate back and forth and just do the computing that is necessary to, uh, to, to get the, right. the sound out. Like, do you think do there's examples 44, of people doing that? It's like, can you hear like this sound is made that way? Here's an example. Well, there's a movement in, in, in game audio, they, they call it procedural sound. And there's a bunch of experiments in which they do, uh, they do modal stuff, but they do it from the geometry of the object. So they, it's a little bit of a hybrid because um, in order to do it in real time, you need to have a model of the original, not some sort of like simulation. So uh, they'll take like the, the video I see online is like they take a shopping cart and they model the, the residences that would be in that shopping cart given the material and the geometry. And then they send the, the shopping cart into like a 3D world and you hear it bouncing around and resonating in different ways. That's the closest thing I've seen. There's, there's other stuff. It's usually couched as a gaming thing. Is but I've never seen anything... Is there any music that does that? Is there any music like, that's based on it? Like, uh... You see... Uh, there's there's simulated reverbs where you can set up the ge geometry like ray tracing reverbs are are a thing and that's definitely like okay here's the geometry of the thing and here's how it sounds given given that geometry but that's still like that's not a vibrating object right you're not emulating like what how the the walls actually vibrate what about like object delay isn't that supposed to be based on objects yeah so object delay is based on objects, but it's it's this platonic ideal of an object. It's this is how a drum head resonates, and we're gonna we're gonna give this um, basically like a, a compressed or a, a very simple mathematical idea of what a drum head does. And we're not going to just sort of like make a bunch of squares and circles and, and emulate it actually vibrating. Um, I mean, there's there's great approximations, but they all sort of fall short um, in 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 one way or another because it does. There's no there's no serendipity. There's no chaos involved in the. Don't they like making. program the chaos in? So it's a little like all these piano plugins. That each one tries to be more realistic than the other by programming what happens. Yeah. You know, like I mean, they're yes, flying, but right? then right. you've got the piano plugin, and then like okay. you want to play a John Cage piece, and there's no ping pong balls. Okay, right. But you can you can right. stick the ping pong ball you know virtually onto the piano, right? And prepare it virtually. Yeah, it, yeah. well yeah. No, I mean not in those plugins, right? Right? Like you, you so you, like now you have to go back to the manufacturer and be like, you need to put more ping pong ball sounds in here. And it's like No, just just like write a physics engine. I mean it would it would take forever to render this stuff. That's why people don't do it. But I you can see like it's just so funny to me that like they they emulate all the lights and the the lens flare and like every single pixel has like tons of calculations going into it and then they call a bunch of people in to like slam their shoes on the ground when the characters walk. Like isn't it like why why? 
That's interesting, yeah, because you're, you're combining like the Foley artist with the synthetic versions. Like, you know, somewhere I remember reading an article on what it took for this, the sound of a gunshot in one famous film. <laughs> it was a mixture of sample, gunshot, <laughs> synthesizer, this, and they, they kind of blend it together to create this larger than life feel. Like, yeah, I mean that's a yeah. that's a field that's like they've been doing the exact same thing for right. what like a hundred years. But you're saying yeah. it, could, it could be done way better, and in gaming they're thinking about it because you're interacting so much with these worlds and you move around and you do things. The sound should really change with you in a realistic. Way. Yeah, well, and you, I mean, the previous practice in gaming was like you shoot the gun five times and you hear different sounds and then it goes round robin, but like that only suffices so much. Especially when you're like, okay, so like the gun sounds this way, and you're when you're in a building, then you walk outside and it sounds a different way. Like you just have to oversample this stuff, like in a silly way, where you could just sort of do a little bit of emulation. It's easier to do with the reverb; it's harder to do with. Yeah, an I mean, there's bullet. even a debate as to whether convolution reverbs are more realistic than algorithmic ones because they sample a space. So at first it seems like they're more realistic, but then some people will say it's fake. I've just never heard a, I've never heard a reverb of any sort that actually sounds like something was recorded in the field. So you don't like any of them? Because I, I, I love of- them. I love them, but like they don't convince me that you recorded something in a space. That's interesting because I, I found that you actually record in a resonant church. It's easy to get this super muddy recording. And you know that being you know that being there would be amazing, but recording wise, you get I find you get a better result recording dry, artificially adding the sense of space and, and, and nuancing and sort of shaping it so that it, it has this recorded experience that's more clear than the real space could ever be on a recording, even though that being in the real space is different. I think I absolutely hear you and I say like, ah no, like um, there's there's your lo-fi aesthetic. Like, make it sound like it was actually sa- like somewhere, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, there's like a really idealist, idealized version of the sonic stage. But like, I mean, you and I had this disagreement recently. Like, no, keep the hiss. Is how I, I hiss, feel. Yes. Like, exactly. What did the hiss <laughs> give you? What did the hiss give you? The hiss, the hiss gave me. This is actually happening in in real time. This is actually this was recorded somewhere. Like um, this is or what it really says to me. Let me think about this. Is probably like this is an artifact of an actual experience, rather than somebody like brought it back into the studio and tooled with it, like like eighties live concert recordings where they just dubbed everything back in over again. Yeah, we had this uh, with the Nightingale project. This often came up: how much background noise to take out. Sometimes we took all of it out; no one would believe it was happening anywhere. And then we put it back in. And then yeah. One aesthetic was leave it all in, so it's like really there. And if you if you watch the film, some of the soundtrack is stuff that I edited and took out the noise. And there's even reverb added, which you can clearly it's not quite real. But in other ones, it's the actual sound there, and it's different. And a handful of people watching it complained about that. But the yeah. others, others didn't notice, or that you know. I well, and you and I have talked about like, okay, you edit out all the noise, and then you just put your own noise back in. A little bit. So you, you edit it all yeah. out, and then you say, no, this isn't realistic. Let's bring it up a little bit more. And you, you know, that particular hiss I thought was just so high, and and clearly there was a problem. Like, 
that's not like the natural hiss of life. It's like an extra hiss that came into the process. And so that's why I, I said tone it down. Because like, I, you know. Well, I still got to post it. I totally yeah. trust you. I'm not going to sit. No, you can, you can go anywhere. Yeah, we have to figure out what to do. But yeah, I mean, recording in general is this weird thing. Like, it's like, um, you know, why should a recording of a performance actually be the real thing? It's another artifact, another technological innovation. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, there's, a, there's definitely like, it's a silly fiction to say like, this is, we're going to try and convince you that you're, you're really there. Right. You, you basically want to experience you're going to want to listen to that sounds cool and interesting one way or another. Whether it sounds real is a, is a kind of secondary question in a way. Yeah. Um, so what uh, we have like one hour we've gone on so far but is there any particular <laughs> software you want to talk about in this that like something you're working on or or once worked on and we're interested in uh i mean look i've got i've always got like <laughs> 100 pieces of software running around i mean i think the ongoing thing that i haven't really done anything with publicly very much is uh this sine wave synth um thing which i keep talking about uh but um, that's just uh, that's just how many ways can we put together just like a VCA and a VCO and and have it sound different all, all, all the ways that can um, poke at your brain in different ways so that I mean I've always liked the idea of a sine wave being like a fundamental building block of sound it's you know, I've, I've sort of learned a little bit about why certain people think that that's not true. Um, so I think it's just sort of like, um, it's an interesting technology to be, uh, to be using to say like, maybe, maybe you could connect it to the idea of like, everything is actually the same thing. Um, like here you think I'm going to go on it I'm listening to this music and it's gone off in a different tangent and then I'm going to be suddenly reminded that it's just a sine wave um, and, you know and then suddenly I hear like this you know melody and I think that melody is the music but it's just a sine wave do you think that's what we get when we listen to like silver apples of the moon or like early that's a little like music. that yeah. yeah yeah I don't know he's a genius for so many different reasons I mean he's he does silver apples of the moon and then the next thing is like means something completely different. I mean, he's incredible. But I was just but, thinking that it was all sine waves back then. He was trying to turn it into this, uh, you know, different tracks, different kinds of abstract but rhythmic and melodic, like electronic music when it was all yeah. new. So now, now those techniques are very familiar to us, but he structured this whole piece. And it was also presented in this, this high and mighty sense, like this is a composition, it's new. <laughs> you know, rather than like like electronic music and pop music, which is where it really took off, here was a, a kind of symphonic work commissioned by a record company to show we are serious. <laughs> this is the new thing, and like that's what they were up to. And then now we hear it; it's like early, you know, early electronic pop music. We don't. I hear mean, you're you're de very derisive. You don't think one thing anticipated the other. Uh, I'm not derisive. I, I'm saying that's what makes it more uh, resonant in a way. Like that, this classical music by composers of that period, much of it is not listened to by by a larger number of interested musicians. But because this is electronic, 
we see it as something that presaged this kind of pop music. If Subotnik wrote an orchestral piece in that period, it would not be as listened to. And, and uh, oh, yeah. you know, that there's, it would be interesting to get back in the head the space of what that was like. And I know I've read, reading a lot about the recent unauthorized biography of Wendy Carlos, which must deal with a lot of the same things, which is that she just thought this was a cool thing to do, but didn't imagine it would become this super hit thing because it was simply music that it was always around, but played on these new sine wave instruments. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right that like, like you, I don't know, you read the old graphic scores of electronic music and it's like, all right, here's the spectrum and we're going to like put this thing here. But then Wendy Carlos comes along and she's just like, she's just playing music on a different instrument. Right, and, and, and this kind of music <laughs> that was written without these specific things. Bach would say, great, play it on whatever you want. Exactly. It, it's harder to play Brahms on electronic instruments. Beethoven, but Bach, these arpeggios, it's just right there. You might as well go for it on, on different tonalities. And, and um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I remember it was a few years ago, that the first students I had would start to say, oh, you need the very best sound equipment to hear electronic music because the, the tones are so precise and rich and interesting. If it was just like violins and clarinets, nobody cares. You could listen to those on cheap <laughs> headphones. But electronic music is so refined and nuanced. You need the very best equipment. And I said, well, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a whole different way of thinking. That's it for the Black Box of Cool, another episode of Soundwalker. Have a great holiday, everyone, this end of 2021. You'll find a playlist on Spotify under the name The Black Box of Cool that reveals some of the music you've heard in the background swirling through our consciousness as we try and make sense of the past, present, and future of sonic possibility. I'll say it again, the word you're not supposed to use, Matthew Adikman is a wizard. And you can check out his creations at tada.art, tablatoon.live, and anywhere else you might run into him inventing ideas for the future. See you next time. Turn the world upside, turn the world upside, turn the world upside.